You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadab. Well, the uh, Green Bay Packers have officially started making some moves. Um, There's a lot less complaining about it than I expected. I kind of made some kind of a comment about how the Packers are probably going to end up doing non-wide receiver things and everybody would lose their mind. Some people certainly did, but again, as I've said, there are more positions than wide receiver. And um, the Packers are not just going to randomly add people with WR next to their name just because we need WR, right? They, they have extra money, and they're going to find players that they think are a good fit for a good value and add them to the team. I mean, that's, it's the same with free agency as it is with the draft. I don't know why we as fans cannot wrap our head around it. I know we're scared about the wide receiver position, and certainly the Packers will have to do something about it. But, you know, the same is true with contracts, with Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, everybody else, as it is with free agency, as it is with the draft. The Packers don't panic, and they're not going to panic. They have a little bit of extra money, so they have the ability to go out and find people that they think are a great fit at a great value. And if they can find it, they will add them. And that happens even throughout the season. They're constantly just adding people that they like, that they think might be a good fit, that they think might be able to contribute. And if they do, great. If they don't, then they don't. So I put on Twitter after we uh, picked up Jerron Reed, which is, by the way, the news that I'm referring to. The Packers have added Jerron Reed, defensive tackle. But I put on Twitter immediately after that update. After the uh, addition of a defensive tackle, the Packers are still going to be drafting best player available. Because obviously everybody's first reaction is, well, now they have to add a wide receiver. Now they have to. Now they they don't have to do anything. It gets so boring every year. They have to. They, now they have to. Now they're definitely going to. Now if they don't, no, they don't have to. They will add wide receiver. It doesn't have to be first round. It doesn't have to be both first round picks. It doesn't have to be two in the first two days. By the way, there's still time in free agency to add wide receiver. It's not as though, well, we spent all 20 million bucks on Jerron Reed. Because the fact of the matter is, Jerron Reed is not Aaron Donald. He's not going to cost that much money. At least I certainly hope not, because <laughs> he shouldn't cost very much money. But I guess that's probably a good place to start. Um, Jerron Reed, the if you're just Twitter scouting, which is to say you get all your uh, news and information about how good or bad a player is based on Twitter hype, then Jerron Reed is probably the third or fourth best pass-rushing defensive tackle in football. Um, if you don't get your news from Twitter, then you that's, that's not true. <laughs> He is 29 years old. He's been around for quite a while. He's with the Seattle Seahawks from 2016 to 2020. He spent last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Six foot three, 306 pounds, 5'2", speed. So compared to this particular draft class, he's a complete joke of a human being. But, you know, you go back to uh, 2016, and he was a second-round 
pick. Now we have, you know, six foot three, 330 pound guys running uh, four, nine, sixes <laughs> in the, and they're second round prospects. But a uh, big Alabama boy, and I, I always like Alabama defensive tackles. Um, they don't usually pan out or, or live up to the hype, but I'm, I'm usually a, a bigger fan than I should be and than most. Um, over the course of his career, let me give you his, his grades because he's consistent. And I'll say this, my description of Jerron Reed is the MVS of defensive tackles. The reason is he is consistently average to subpar with flashes of being really good and is probably overhyped, too hyped, um, based on certain skill sets um, by the fan base, but still has moments of really, really, really helping the team. His grade since 2016, 57, 66, 68, 61, 56, and 54 last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Run defense grades, 59, 66, 66, 68, 63, 54. Tackling grades, 62, 60, 60, 29. I don't know what the heck that's about. 64 and 55. Pass rush grades, 55, 67, 66, 53, 58, 56. So, like, exactly exactly the same in every category every year. I mean, he is wildly consistent every year across the board. I mean, he is as good as a run defender as he is as a pass rusher each and every year. And there isn't even much variability from year to year. Now, with that said, and I'm not probably, I probably shouldn't be buying too much into this, but the best Jerron Reed football that we've ever seen in his uh, entire tenure, and remember, he did spend his time with a new team last year, so it's entirely possible that something clicked. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that something would click after six years, uh, well, five and a half years of football, suddenly something clicks. But starting around week 13, a brand new Jerron Reed seemed to emerge. As you can imagine, he was not the greatest uh, overall defensive tackle in all of football out of about 130 uh, defensive tackles, Jerron Reed ranked 82nd. If you start looking at week 12 and beyond, he jumps all the way up to 49th with a 71 run defense grade and a 74 tackling grade. If you look from week 13 on, he's 50th, which is not the greatest in the world. But if you just look at the, the first half compared to the second half, and, and he did have a couple bad days mixed in, but here's how he started the year, which if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, this is really disheartening. 48, 57, 47, 45, 43, 39, 49, 47, and 40. Then he goes 71, 48, 84, 65, 43, 43, 66, 67, 66, and then 85, and then 82 in the playoffs. So this is kind of why I called him the MVS of defensive tackles. And again, you could say maybe something clicked because he had three really, really, really good games which is not super characteristic of Jerron Reed just in general. Um, granted, considering this was still his worst year ever, it goes to show that basically it was, it was, his, it was his worst year ever, <laughs> with the exception of those three games. But again, new team, new scheme, the whole nine yards. Took some time to get acclimated, and then something clicked. So I don't know how similar Kansas City is to Green Bay. I would assume Kansas City's a little bit more similar to Seattle, but... Who knows? Maybe he would end up being a better fit over here than he was with Seattle and Kansas City. But the point is, Jerron Reed massively underwhelmed, and he gave them three, four-ish good games. Um, he's been talked about as a pretty good pass rusher. Um, the, the, there have been some stats given out with very little context in terms of his pressures and his sacks and whatnot. Um, 
here are his pressure numbers. And again, remember, we're shooting for 10% pressure rate is average for a defensive tackle. It's just, it's fine. Um, so for example, if you had 272 pass rush attempts, very quick math, we're looking for about 27 pressures at a bare minimum. He had 14 as a rookie with three sacks. 2017, 311 attempts. We're looking for about at least 31. He had 23. In 2018, we're looking, uh, he had 514 attempts. We're looking for 51. He had 55. So 2018, 55 pressures, 11 sacks. That's a good year, right? His first good year. So maybe he's kind of emerging. His grades were still a 68, which is his highest ever, but still not super great. The next year, 370-ish attempts, so we're looking for, what, 37? He got 26 and four sacks, so not a good year. 2020, most people talk about it because he had 11 sacks. So second double-digit year, which is worth noting. However, still, 605 attempts, we're looking for about 60 pressures. He had 40. Last year, 540 attempts, we're looking for about five, uh, 54 pressures. He had 33. So as far as overall pressures go, he's really, really, really low. He does end up, uh, you know, two out of six years getting really high sack to pressure ratios. Probably just has to do with his style of play. But the point is, on paper, there's really nothing I can look at here that that puts Jerron Reed at the top of any lists. He's not a premier run defender, 54 overall grade. He's not a premier tackler, 55 overall grade. He's not a premier pass rusher, 56 overall grade. The pressure statistics, the sack statistics, again, with the exception of one or two years, um, have never really been very good. Uh, A couple statistics PFF has that I completely forget to use until uh, uh, JJ basically reminded me yesterday to, to look into it for him. But they do have run defense grades, and two of them kind of stand out as important run defense metrics. One of them is stop percentage. One is average depth of target, or of tackle, excuse me. That's not what I meant. So stops, remember, stops are, you make a tackle that is a negative play for the offense. So on third and two, you stop them, you make a tackle short of two yards. That would be a negative play for the offense. So what percentage of your run defense plays do you end up making a stop which is a negative play for the offense. This is probably, at least last year, his best category, which is 45th overall. Unfortunately, average depth of target, he ties for dead last, 3.4 yards. So the, the, the very obvious answer here, it's, it's very clear what Jerron Reed is. He's a very flashy player. Again, he's MVS. He ranks relatively high on stop percentage, which is sort of big plays, right? Uh, occasionally he gets a lot of sacks, although he very rarely gets pressures. And by the way, his his very bad PFF grades, the one conclusion that I've come to with PFF, and it's the reason a lot of people end up disliking him, because a lot of guys who are real flashy don't end up getting real high PFF grades, because PFF really ultimately grades consistency. That's what PFF grades. So inconsistent players that have like big splash plays don't usually have very good grades. Because it's, again, it's a scale of two. So if you get a pick six, you get two points. It's, it does, over the course of an entire game of 60 snaps or however many snaps you play, it's pretty easy to erase two points. I mean, if you have a negative, even a minor negative play is a negative 0.5. That's the smallest increment that you can go. So basically four minor negative plays erases a pick six. So again, you, you can trash the system if you want, but that's just kind of the way it is. It generally is going to grade consistency. And Jerron Reed, as you can see, his average depth of target. So on average, when he's tackling guys, 
they're 3.4 yards down the field. As a defensive tackle, what the heck are you even doing 3.4 yards down the field, right? By the way, the uh, the guys he's tied with, DeForest Buckner, Carl Davis, and then uh, the next low is 3.3 yards, Kingsley Kiki. So he's right there with Kingsley Kiki. But again, his highest rank is stop percentage, so bigger type plays. He's going to have higher than average sacks considering his, his general pressure consistency. When he makes a play, it's, it's going to be kind of a, a, a big play, but also it's just on a down-to-down basis, it's kind of, oh, geez, that guy again. Which again, to me, that's MVS. You don't hear from, I mean, now granted, it's a little bit different for a wide receiver because when you don't see MVS, you don't think of him doing a bad job. It's not like defensive tackle. When a defensive tackle doesn't do his job, you see him get pushed across the field and the, and the play, there's a positive play for the offense and you get mad at Jaron Reed. When MVS runs a garbage route and can't get open, and Aaron Rodgers dumps it off to the running back and he picks up seven yards, we cheer because we don't know what MVS is doing. Even when, the, when Aaron Rodgers can't find anybody and has to throw the ball away, we assume that maybe MVS couldn't get open. We, we don't even know. Maybe he didn't, Rodgers didn't see him. I don't know. Hard to say. Maybe he was double covered. Maybe there was safety help down. I have no idea what happened, but we don't get mad at MVS. But the point is, it's kind of the same thing. It's part, part of the reason why people probably really like MVS because we don't see him, we don't see him, we don't see him, we don't see him, and then boom, big play. It's like, yeah, he did it again. He's a freak. It's like, well, okay, it's been 70 plays since his last big play, but okay, sure. But that's my general assessment of Jaron Reed. Um, I think he is, you know, I don't think this is a big splash play. I think he's a rotational guy. I think that this is somebody that Joe Barry and and the the defensive coaches and, and, and the uh, pro personnel and Brian Gutekunst got together and said would be a good fit for what we're trying to do. We're trying to find not just a defensive tackle to put next to Kenny Clark. They're looking for a specific type of defensive tackle for various different reasons. And, and ultimately, if you're looking for depth, one of the biggest things that a lot of people have pointed out about Jerron Reed is that he, he plays a lot. You can put a lot on his shoulders. I mean, he's played a significant amount of snaps. He's, he's a very healthy guy has not missed a ton of time. And so if you're lacking depth, you want to just make sure you got a guy that can be there. And you need a lot of bodies for defensive tackle. So so my assumption is this is a good mix of um, reliability in terms of just being able to be on the field, a good scheme fit for what we're looking for, and, and most importantly, a good price. Again, we haven't seen the numbers yet, but I tend to think that they're going to be fairly reasonable. And, and again, really, this is just about trying to patch holes. And, and, and I think the defensive tackle position is one that just doesn't have enough bodies. It's true of wide receiver as well. And I know for a fact they're working on that. But again, they're not just going to grab anybody at any price. If a bunch of the guys floating out there, including MVS, who they want back, are, are just being unreasonable with price and are, are higher than the Packers' value, they're not going to pull the trigger. And that's one of the things I love about the Packers and Brian Gutekunst. Even when they're being wild and reckless, as you could surmise they've been doing the last few years as far as just, you know, throwing tons of money around and and kind of pushing the salary cap to its limit. They're still on a player to player basis, not handing out unreasonable contracts. You look at Aaron Jones and it's like, you shouldn't pay running backs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at his value compared to what we paid him, I mean, it's like, that's actually a decent price for Aaron Jones. I can't think of anybody they've overpaid. Even if you want to say Aaron Rodgers got his $50 million a year, which some people think, I don't know, it's a goofy contract. It's still what he's worth. It's not a, I mean, we didn't get a deal, but we didn't overpay. Now, it sounded like we were going to overpay Devontae, but the reports came out that his contract with the Raiders 
was kind of fluff and the actual numbers put it closer to about $22 million a year. And if we were offering him that, then we were going to pay him what he was worth as well. I don't exactly know how that works. I'm just saying that's, that's, I think Ken Ingalls had said that his, his contract is actually more of a $22.5 million per year contract or something. In other words, his agent and Devante were able to get the highest paid moniker while also technically being the highest paid because really you just had to beat Julio at 22. So we beat Julio at 22 by getting like 22 and a half in real dollars. And we can say we got like 28-ish or whatever, but it really wasn't, which again, there was no way in my mind that that made any sense that anybody would pay that. I don't know. I'm guessing it's mostly just none of that is guaranteed. And the odds of him actually getting that money is relatively low. But again, I don't know. I haven't looked at it. That's just what I think. I believe it was um, Ken Ingalls had reported that, but I'm not positive. Um, the the only final note on um, Jerron Reed, and, and I'm not trying to be super negative. I'm just trying to be super honest. I mean, it's just I'm just telling you what I'm looking at, and you can draw your own conclusions, but I'm not just going to base it off of Twitter hype, you know? Um, with that said, and if I was doing a better job, I would pull up the uh, the actual audio clips and whatnot of what I had done last year, but I, I, I'm slacking, so I can't. But let me give you an honest assessment of another player that we, that we picked up, okay? Um, no reason to get super hyped. Not a very good player. Never been a very good player. Here are his grades over um, five years. 55, 69, 56, 50, and 49, right? Run defense grades, 50, 63, 65, 62, and 48. Uh, coverage grades, 59, 68, 50, 41, and 51. So, you know, he's a guy that comes in at a reasonable price. He's going to be cheap. He's a good scheme fit, but don't expect much from him. His name, by the way, is Devondre Campbell. And that's exactly what my assessment of him would have been last year when I was talking to you about Devondre Campbell. What ended up happening? 85 overall grade, 81 run defense, 90 tackling grade, 73 pass rush grade, 82 coverage grade. Again, that's exactly why I expect regression from Devondre Campbell. However, there was nothing on paper at all that I could look at that would have that would have given me the impression that he would have had as, as good of a year as he had. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. His 117 tackles are more tackles than he's ever had. He had by far his lowest tackling, uh, lowest missed tackle percentage at 2.8%. He's always been a great tackler, but he was by far the best tackling year that he's had. 55 stops dwarfs his old stop numbers. And granted, he did play more snaps this year than in the past, but not really by, in fact, it's actually his, his second highest. 2017, he played more snaps, but he, he's always played a lot. He played 1,041, but prior to that, 880, 921, 902, and then 1056, which again is more. Um, yards per reception in coverage were, was his lowest ever. He had two interceptions, which tied uh, 2019 when he had two. He's only got three in his entire career. Two pass breakups, well, that's actually relatively low for him, but 88.3 passer rating when targeted was the lowest ever for his career. So he, he, every single area that I looked at said, nah, he's not very good in run defense. He was dominant in run defense. He's not very good as a pass rusher. He actually was very good as a pass rusher this year. 10 pressures was the most aside from 2017, um, but he had about half as many attempts, 49 compared to 92. So again, there was nothing on paper and I don't even think the Packers expected it to go this well. But the fact of the matter is, again, what, is, what was Devondre Campbell? He was a right scheme fit for the team at a good price. 
And that's all they knew going into it. He, he just he fit what we were looking for, the type of linebacker we're looking for, uh, intelligent enough. He's been around for a long time, so he's a plug-and-play. Day one, week one, we know he can do what I ask him to do, and he's just going to be a good fit for what we're looking to do on this defense. And it worked out tremendously. And again, I don't expect him to repeat this because it's basically unrepeatable. I know people get mad at me for saying that, but you got to understand, it's not because I, I think so low of Devondre, it's because I think so high of what he did in 2021. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has grades this good. Again, you have to go back to like Luke Keekley to find guys that do this well in run defense and coverage. Nobody does this. Similarly with Razul Douglas. Now, the difference between him and Razul Douglas is Razul Douglas has played less years and actually did have a year, as far as grades go, that are about this good. In 2018, he had a 72 overall grade. Overall, his grade wasn't elite with Green Bay. It was mostly just the interceptions and whatnot that he did so well on, but 74 overall grade. So it's not as drastic of a, this guy's about to just completely fall off. His grades prior to are 64, 72, 52, 60. So same thing again. When he comes in, it's like, look, this guy's not going to be a stud, um, but he's, he's fine. He's a, he's a guy that can just fill in for cheap or whatever because we don't have any money. He got a 74 overall grade, which was his highest, and it was his highest coverage grade and all that with his uh, five interceptions and seven pass breakups. But the point is, if he falls off, worst case scenario, again, his worst year was a 52 overall grade from, you know, and on average, he's, he's in the 60s, right? So if he falls off from a 74 to a 61, am I going to cry about it? Probably not. Do I expect the interceptions to drop off? Yes, I do. He has five interceptions over four years, and then he got five interceptions this past year. However, even with pass breakups, he's always been relatively high, seven, one, nine, eight, and seven. So if the interceptions come down, I don't, I don't really expect the pass breakups to come down. Now, in, Carol, in 2020 and 2019, he had zero interceptions, but eight pass breakups and, and nine pass breakups. So if it drops to one interception and nine pass breakups in a 62 overall grade, am I going to super cry about it? Not really. Considering we still have Stokes and Jair, and then we have that level of production, a guy with that many pass breakups at, at the very least, no, I'm not going to cry about it. And, and again, there is still the potential that it just really is a great scheme fit and something just clicks. Same with Devondre. Again, almost no way he stays as good. But still, what if he stays still a top 20 linebacker? Am I going to cry about it? Top 10 linebacker? Nope, certainly not going to cry about it. He doesn't have to be number one for this to be great. I just don't want him to go back to the 50s. But again, the point is, although we shouldn't expect anything elite out of Jerron Reed, because it's not true that everybody we pick up is just dominant, right? We went out and got Snacks Harrison last year. He had shown flashes of being great at some point. Maybe when he comes here, he's going to be great. He didn't do anything. Now, he didn't have any time to do anything, and we didn't really give him many opportunities. But the point is, we've had a lot of guys come in. And, I mean, linebacker Christian Kirksey. We brought in linebacker after linebacker. Every year, we're bringing in different linebackers. Nobody worked out until Devondre Campbell. Granted, different defensive coordinator this year. But I'm not going to officially say Jerron Reed will do nothing because Jerron Reed's grades look a lot like Devondre Campbell's grades prior to coming over. In fact, they look very similar to Razul Douglas's grade. Mostly underwhelming. Let's just see how well this works as far as a scheme fit um, before we go making any massive declarations. And by the way, Razul Douglas in his first uh, several, he didn't start till week six. His first game had a 47 overall grade, which is not great. Then he had an 88, which is great, and a 72, but then 43, 51, 54. So over his first five weeks, most of his games were kind of terrible, aside from two great games. And then he finished relatively strong. And by relatively strong, I mean mostly average with two grades in the 90s. 
so he's a big splash guy too. But with was Razul, it never really mattered because he. The only thing I ever ask of a corner is just don't get destroyed. I honestly couldn't care less if you have a thirty overall grade if I didn't see you one time just get beat up on. His worst, and and he had a ninety one overall grade in this game, so obviously it wasn't that bad. But his worst game statistically in terms of yards given up was seventy nine yards and a touchdown. And and he was targeted ten times, three receptions, and he had a pick and two pass breakups in that game against L.A. Potentially a touchdown too. I don't remember which games he had a touchdown, and they don't list it here. But I mean, that's you're telling me that's as bad as it's going to get. Seventy nine yards and a touchdown, and he added a pick and two pass breakups in that game. Fifty three overall. Come on now. In fact, he gave up two touchdowns ever, and in those games, he had three interceptions, two pass breakups. So I mean. His lowest graded game was against Kansas City, 43.8 overall grade. In that game, four targets, one reception, 12 yards. Again, on a play-to-play basis, apparently he just got cooked and he got beat up and he was terrible and all that. But if I don't see it, I don't care. I don't care, I don't care if he takes a nap on the field if, as long as the guy that he's guarding doesn't do anything. I mean, he could just sit on the ground you know, in a, in a fetal pouting position for all I care. As long as I don't see the negative plays, I don't care. So I don't know what he did wrong, but apparently Pat Mahomes didn't either. And again, maybe it's just a scheme thing. PFF, as, as many people have pointed out, is not perfect. And sometimes they attribute certain negative things to this or that. And if you're talking about zone and maybe he passes off to the next guy and the guy's open for a half a second, but Pat Mahomes looks at it and goes, no, that guy ain't open because he's about to run over to that safety. And PFF says, well, I'm docking him because he let him get it. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. Why, why was he so terrible but never got thrown at? I don't know. All I know is statistically, I see nothing wrong the entire year. And the Packers saw well enough to say, no, I don't think that was a fluke. I'm going to pay him to stay. So again, do I expect regression? Yes. Five interceptions. I'm, I'm tempted to say I would buy a jersey. I, 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 okay, if, if Devondre Campbell is able to meet or exceed his PFF grade this year, I will buy a Devondre Campbell jersey. If Razul Douglas has as many interceptions and touchdowns, you know, pick sixes or whatever, or however he happens to acquire them as he did last year, I will buy a jersey. You can remind me of that if it happens. And I have no intention of buying any of these jerseys, by the way, but it's just just my way of putting a stamp on being very confident about that. It's not going to happen, but that doesn't mean they're bad. All right, so that's Jerron Reed. Massively overhyped so far, but you never know. With the Green Bay freaking Packers, man, and, and this scouting staff and this defense, I, I, I can't tell you anything. Because I have no idea. Anyways, why don't we take a break here? I want to uh, come back on the other side, talk about some more draft stuff. I have some questions from some fine folks. Um, I posed the Q&A thing in Patreon. Also had a few people message me, so I want to get to some of those things. Also, if you haven't yet, uh, Packers Total Access went live last night, so make sure you uh, don't miss that episode. I know some of you just listened early in the morning. So rewind a little bit and go check out that episode after you're done listening here or whatever. And um, tonight we should have uh, J.J. Leahy's Cheese and Packers going live. He's looking to have a, uh, a draft episode tonight, so be sure to tune into that. As always, remember uh, to check out Drew's GoFundMe. It's pinned to the top of my Twitter. Thank you very much to Anonymous, Richard, Anonymous, and Dennis over the last several days for donating to that cause. We are almost like exactly halfway, maybe just slightly beyond halfway. My, my math is, um, brain's not working. Pretty sure we're beyond halfway, but uh, we've got a ways to go. But again, 
Drew was diagnosed with epilepsy. He's trying to get a seizure service dog to help him through with that. I mean, it, it is a lifetime affliction, and it would be a massive help, and I would love if we could, uh, as a Packers family, rally together and help him to uh, to raise the funds for that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. We're talking about, you know, another $3,700 we're looking for. But again, if every single person listening just said, all right, I'm going to go there, I'm going to give a buck, it's done. I mean, it's done today, and he can go get his dog, and um, what, what an awesome thing that would be. Also, if you head over to the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, um, Jamie and Carter's GoFundMe, we're making some real great progress on that. We're trying to get to a $10,000 goal. Uh, Jamie and her one-year-old middle child, Carter, were hit in a head-on collision. They were flown flight for life to the hospital. Um, haven't seen an update in quite a while, but um, it's it's kind of a long road ahead for them. Uh, just over the last three days, as far as I can see over here on the side panel, thank you very much to Richard Anonymous, Dennis again, Rebecca and um, Silvestri for, for all the donations. We're talking 20, 25, 25, 25, 25, so 120 bucks plus, again, I can't even see below that. But some consistent giving over there, and we're making some real great headway. Again, we're, we're about 1,200 bucks away from being completely done with this um, with this GoFundMe um, fundraiser for them. Um, so that would be a really, really awesome thing. Again, this is being raised by uh, Cody or for Cody or whoever started it. Cody is a uh, longtime listener to the show and, uh, again, a Packer fan, and so I'm just hoping we can rally together and help him out. Make sure you head over to amodernfrontier.com. My buddy Adam started his own business. He went out, got himself a piece of land, and is just living off the land. He's just living the dream and um, decided to uh, branch out and start selling off some meat. And so you've got locally raised grass-fed beef, some real high-quality pork. He's got a lot of different options, and he sells them in smaller packages, so they're a lot cheaper. Again, um, I've been wanting to do this for years, but I don't have the freezer space or the money to be dropping a 1000 bucks on on meat and stuff. So the fact that he sells it in smaller quantities means you can get it for significantly cheaper, and the price that you pay is the total price. It's not that plus processing or any of this other stuff. Uh, it is It is including shipping. So you swipe the card for that price, enter promo code MEATPACKER, one word, all caps, you're going to get $25 off, and it will be a box delivered directly to your door. He can't deliver everywhere across the world or across America, so make sure you message him first and make sure that the package can get to you. I know he was looking at upgrading his packaging so that I can go a little bit further, but um, in the meantime, be a good idea. If you don't live in the Wisconsin or Midwestern region, to just reach out and make sure that I can, it can reach you. But uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So before we get to the questions, comments, concerns, and whatnot, I want to just go over some uh, observations that I made personally because I continue to go through and, and look at uh, the highlight reels, at least, of, of a lot of these guys. And honestly, it's, it's my son that's keeping me on track because he is obsessed with it and he wants to do nothing but scouting. And every second he's coming over to me, okay, who's next on the list? Who's next on the list? Who are we watching? Who are we watching? It's like, oh, geez, all right, all right, let's do it. By the way, I've also found out that he's better at scouting than I am already at seven years old, and that's really annoying. I'm sure we'll be watching and I'm like, oh man, got him. That was a great play. He was like, yeah, and that was third and one too. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, it was a big play. Probably should have been paying attention to that. He's ser- I mean, seriously, he's checking down and distance and stuff on these plays and I'm not even paying attention to it. You know, it's a highlight thing. So it just goes boom, 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 boom. Next play, next. He's watching the score. He's like, oh man, look at the score. They're up like 31, nothing. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's relevant. I should be paying attention to that too. So yeah, he's uh, he's already he's already better at this than I am. So who knows? Maybe he'll uh, aspire to be a, a film grinder when he gets older. I don't know. But again, very very limited. Some of these guys I'm kind of making notes of because I either really like or really don't like and want to go back and kind of see depending on you know the position they play or whatever. But Logan Hall, I was actually pretty impressed by. PFF is not a big fan of his. I, I kind of think Logan Hall is similar to what I said about um, Jerron Reed in a different way, but but similar because. He's one of those guys that's going to crush some highlights. And I mean, his, 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 his video was like a minute long. It was nothing. But, you know, generally when I think of him, it's, it's a long, lean, kind of athletic, you know, swipe and get past a guy, you know, run around people kind of a thing with his athleticism. And when he comes free, he can get to the quarterback quickly. All of his highlights are getting in somebody's chest and knocking him straight on his back, which is really impressive, but also really surprising because that's not what I expected from Logan Hall. Defensive tackle out of Houston, if I didn't elaborate on that. So um, I put a little asterisk next to his name because although I don't expect to really like his tape, because again, PFF grades on consistency. And so with him getting bad grades, but great highlights, I assume he's a flashy guy that on a down to down basis is not very good. And probably being sort of a leaner guy, I'm guessing he gets pushed around as far as run defense goes. But that's just me guessing. And I want to go check that out. Um, I did look at running backs. I've been skipping quarterbacks because I, you know, I'm just not going down that path. But I figure you never know with running back. I do expect us to to potentially add a running back. I shouldn't say expect, but it's entirely possible, but probably not early. 
but I want to watch him anyways because running backs are one of my favorite positions to watch. Brees Hall is um, solid. And again, it's just highlights. But even with highlights, I mean, the good thing is you you see what it is. You see what the good is, right? You, you don't obviously see a lot of the bad, but you get a good picture of what type of prospect is this. And and my favorite type of running back, and every, with every position, I've got a certain attribute I like. Sometimes it's a stupid attribute that doesn't necessarily translate, but it's just my preference. Sometimes it really does translate. And for me, Christian McCaffrey was always like my favorite running back prospect because of his, I don't even want to say cutting ability, because I think a lot of times when we think about cutting, it's really hard planting your, your foot in the ground and then just jumping the other direction. What I'm talking about is change of direction that is so smooth and so fluid and so instant. It's, it, it starts at the point, it doesn't start at, at the feet or the hips or anything like that. It starts in the brain. It's sort of like I say with linebacking, it's mental processing. It's seeing something, reacting to it instantly, changing direction and doing so in such a smooth way that it, it's, there's no pause, right? I mean, if you think about a lot of running backs, it's kind of a, you know, you, you take time to kind of lean going one way and then you push off and then you jump back going the other way. And it, it's, it takes a second. With guys like Christian McCaffrey and guys like Brees Hall, they just start going in another direction. And I don't know how they did it. You know, one minute they're going this way and the next minute they're going 45 degrees the other direction. And it didn't take any amount of time or seemingly any effort. And if you didn't really think about it, you would just think that he just ran, right? But that should have caused more hesitation than it did. So his ability to change direction on a dime is really, really impressive. And I really, really like it. So he is sort of a my type of running back. Again, I would have to go back and watch more, which I'm not going to because it's a running back, but I really like him. He is my type of guy. Kenneth Walker is the other running back we watched. By the way, Brees Hall, is, is can, his overall grade is a, or uh, rank is 45th. That doesn't mean he's going to go there. He may end up going in the first round depending on how running back needy teams are. I haven't really looked at it, but it's not impossible. He's not expected to go first round. But again, if somebody at the back of the first round um, you know, not the Lions, obviously, who are at 32. Let me just look real quick. Cincinnati, no. Kansas City, no. Miami, maybe a 29. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. And the Packers at 28, no. Tampa Bay, probably not at 27. So probably will be a top of the second round thing just based on the teams and, and all that stuff. Jacksonville, right? Very possibly Houston, who needs absolutely everything. They'd probably be smarter going for more important positions and running back, but who knows? It's, it's Houston. Who knows what they're going to do? But anyways, Kenneth Walker is sitting at 49 overall, and I didn't necessarily like Kenneth Walker at first. He doesn't have that Brees Hall change of direction. It's a little bit more exaggerated. But what I did realize is I think he would be a really great fit for our team. And again, I have no expectation of drafting him, but as far as one cut and go, that's Kenneth Walker. He's a run laterally, foot in the ground, and explode through the hole kind of a guy. And, and the more I watched him, the more I really started to appreciate it. And, it. and it had almost an Aaron Jones feel to it. He's a smaller guy, guy that has surprising power. And the one attribute that I kept seeing from Kenneth Walker is running through holes that I can't even see. He squeaks through the line and it's like, I don't even know what you were looking at. And, and also, by the way, Aaron Jones, I remember in Aaron Jones' first year, he had a really good year, but the thing he kept doing was bouncing to the outside. And it's like, well, you can't just thrive on that. You can't just say, oh, nothing here and run to the outside. You know, at some point you got to find the hole and you got to run through it. A lot of his highlights, especially at the beginning of the video I watched were him bouncing it to the outside, presumably because Michigan State does not have the greatest offensive line and there was just nothing there. But when it's there, he's, when he, when it's there, he finds it. And when it's not, he creates it. So everything that I started to really appreciate about Kenneth Walker felt like a good fit for the Green Bay Packer 
offense and also just reminded me of Aaron Jones. Again, smaller looking, but surprising power. Really good at finding holes that I can't even see. And, and even if they're there for just a second, he f- explodes through it. Solid change of direction. I mean, not elite like, like Brees Hall type of stuff, but good enough to make guys miss in the open field if you get to that next level. And if there's nothing there, a really good, um, he's really good at just bouncing to the outside and, and making, making things happen. So again, I don't expect it, but I uh, wanted to at least mention that, that I, I did like Kenneth Walker. The other guys I watched, DeMarvin Leal, who I've been saying his name wrong the whole time. You can always tell who's actually watched film and who hasn't based on if they're saying guys' names wrong. I, I, I get that all the time where I'll watch tape on guys and you'll see like really prominent draft people saying their name wrong. And it's like, you have never watched his film, have you? And that's crazy because he's a first round pick because the announcers say their name over and over and over and over again. So my first time watching DeMarvin Leal, I learned his name is DeMarvin Leal. Um, another guy that I, I, I liked a little more than I expected, He's kind of an inside-outside guy, which, which at least under Mike Pettin, we were a big fan of. I don't know as much about uh, Joe Barry, but one of those guys similar to maybe Kingsley Kiki, where you know he was mostly an inside guy, but if you're a nickel and you've got you know down defensive ends, he could slip to the outside. One of those type of prospects. I don't think you would stand him up, but you could potentially in certain packages put him on the outside if you felt the need to do so. Um, love his power. Real powerful guy. He's another guy that'll that'll knock an off, uh, offensive lineman on his back and will grab the quarterback with with two fingers and flip him to the ground. So really like his power. Uh, I don't know exactly how much of a of a great scheme fit he is. He'd probably primarily be a defensive end for us. Talking you know interior guy, but I liked him. Uh, Travis Jones though, I tell you what, and and Travis Jones is a defensive tackle out of UConn. He's the guy that I mentioned that is a. Um, a discount Jordan Davis, right? He's he's a really, really big Snacks Harrison type of guy as far as his build, but has elite athleticism. I mean, better than all of our other defensive tackles, basically. But the thing I liked about him, and again, he's another one that is hard to find highlight reels, but if you're really interested in seeing something pretty cool, go look him up on YouTube. And one of the top videos you're going to see is his senior bowl workout. Look at how he just throws guys. Or it's, it's really, 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 really impressive. And PFF, by the way, loves the guy. He just dominated over there at UConn. I always think he plays for Washington because I, I see that logo and it's burned into my head and I just think it's Washington, but it's not, it's UConn. But just look at how he just bullies everybody. And his favorite move is to grab a guy's jersey, pull it up into the guy's neck and just drive him back by his throat. And I absolutely dig that. Um, a lot of his highlights, if you can find any or, or tape or whatever, is him getting double teamed, which is always hard to um, quantify. It's certainly not as good as Jordan Davis does with double teams. Jordan Davis doesn't move when it comes to double teams. I mean, he just will not be moved. And by the way, speaking of those run defense grades and stuff, we can talk about that at a different time, but um, elite, elite in those categories. I mean, in in run stop percentage, as well as um, depth of tackle, elite. Because he he, he doesn't get moved. And for a guy that gets double teamed almost every play, to have such a low, almost negative He's not quite negative, but he's very close to zero, at least. Depth of tackle is really impressive because he's got two guys pushing him back every play almost. Um, Travis Jones doesn't seem to have that level of, of being that, but he, he can still do it. And uh, if he comes to Green Bay, again, I don't even know that he gets that many double teams. And if he does, perfect, because <laughs> I mean, best of luck. So I am a big Travis Jones fan. I was excited to see just how um, kind of ruthless he is. And again, his upside is incredible because he's athletic as heck. So, I mean, if, if you can scheme up one-on-ones, and again, with Kenny there, he may, he may be getting a bunch anyways, as and Rashawn and everybody else. I mean, I don't know how much we dedicate to that. You get him some one-on-ones. I mean, he's got athleticism to chase quarterbacks and everything else. 
So I am a big fan. I've always been a fan of Travis Jones. I was just excited to see that. I, I, he's another one I, I put a circle on because I want to go back and see if I can find some actual film of him and just watch him on a play-to-play. But I, that's the other thing. I know he's consistent because he has really high PFF grades. So I'm excited to go back and watch him. The last guy I watched or we watched, actually it was Kenneth, but I already talked about him, was Christian Harris. And, and surprisingly, and again, he may most likely because really bad PFF grades, really great highlights, most likely Christian Harris is that kind of a guy. Down to down, pretty bad linebacker, but he's got great high. This is my type of linebacker. And and the great thing is he's my type of linebacker, but he does have sort of that, that you know, sideline to sideline speed and everything else that you look for. Generally, when I like, you know, thumpers and, and you know, guys with attitude, they're really, really lacking in athleticism. I mean, in a, in a major way. He had a 9.02 RAS, and that's with a really poor size. He's six foot two twenty six, which is relatively small for a for a linebacker, but four 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 speed. So this dude can fly. So it's not even a matter of he can't even, you know, he can't move. He can just smack people. But the thing I love about Christian Harris, above and beyond the other two guys that we talked about, who granted Nicobe Dean and um and Devin Lloyd are probably better linebackers. And again, Christian Harris has had terrible PFF grades. It's how I knew he would fall in the draft. Uh, he was considered like a top 15 for a while. And I'm like, there's no way this dude's grades are horrible. But he probably was really high because of his highlights. And that's all anybody had watched at that point. But he is so unbelievably mean. And I love it. I mean, he is an absolute bully. When he tackles, first of all, he, he, he knocks the soul out of people. He is a violent player. He's a borderline dirty player, which I dig that. I'm not a fan of getting penalties, you know, just uh, for, for no good reason. But he's got a couple, and they, they snuck him into the highlights, which got me a little bit giddy. He's got a couple hits on quarterbacks where it's like, that was unnecessary. <laughs> and I dig it. In the NFL, they're probably throwing a flag on that. But I mean, even as a linebacker, you know, because a lot of edge rushers do that. They want to make sure that you at least feel my presence. I didn't get there in time, but you're going to know I was there. And you're going to be worried about me from now on. He does that to quarterback. The ball's out. Oops, I'm a little bit late. Smacks him in the back and he goes flying on his face. Like, oh, my bad. I didn't see the ball come out. Oops, daisy. So again, I, I, I've i got him double, triple circled because um, again, I mean, if you look at his PFF grades, his best year was his rookie year and he had a 67 overall grade that went to a 62 and a 61, which isn't horrific, but it's just, it's not good. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a top tier Alabama guy with all this athleticism and all this hype, and it's like, what has he done? Um, this past year, he had four games that were 70 and above. He had, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games below a 60, below average. He had, uh, let's see, three games below a 50. Ole Miss, he had a 47. Against Florida, 41. Against Texas A&M, a 39 overall grade. Um, he gave up 421 yards in coverage, which is not terrible. I mean, in, in the NFL, really bad linebackers are giving up like 800 yards or whatever. But um, he gave up three touchdowns, no picks, four pass breakups, 123.7 passer rating when targeted. Uh, so his coverage grades have always been horrific, 48, 50, and 52, which, I mean, if you're coming here, that's going to be somewhat of an expectation, but maybe not as much. Again, the, the thing Devondre said that he loved about being a Packer is he wasn't asked to be anything other than just being a great linebacker. Maybe Christian Harris can just do that. And, I, and, and the thing is, I don't exactly even know what that means, because obviously Devondre has to cover, he has to do some things. Maybe it's just, it's a lack of complexity. I don't know. But, you know, again, it's, it's, this guy's got all the tools. He had a 67 tackling grade, which is not great. But a lot of that just has to do with some really bad games. I mean, you look at Georgia in the championship game, 26 overall grade. He had five missed tackles. 
But for the vast majority of the games, he was a really, really, really good tackler. Um, he just has some fits. Two games where he was in the 20s where he just missed a bunch of tackles. I don't know how exactly that happened. But about at least half, maybe slightly more than half of his games, he had zero missed tackles. So I'm not exactly sure what the deal is there. But generally speaking, I mean, he is violent. He is a phenomenal tackle. I mean, he, 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 he wrecks people. So um, I'm guessing my opinion will go down when I watch him on a, on a play-to-play basis. But man, you want to talk about a guy that's got some great highlights. And, and I like, I mean, I, I, I just like physical football in general, which is why I'm really excited about what the Packers are doing, because they're just adding, phys- Devondre Campbell's a physical, mean dude, right? Offensively, what are we doing? We're adding bigger, stronger people. I love that. I like big physical running backs. I mean, I know I like the Christian McCaffrey types as well, but I've always also been a fan of like the big Alabama guys. Eddie Lacy, love Eddie Lacy. A.J. Dillon, love A.J. Dillon. They're never going to be my favorite college prospects just because they, they don't ever do flashy stuff like Christian McCaffrey. But the, the concept of a guy that just smashes you in the mouth, I love that. So um, my opinion of Christian Harris did about a 180. And again, the cool thing is, if, if we did draft Christian Harris, which I know seems unlikely, but again, you got two firsts and two seconds, so it's entirely possible that they branch out a bit. And yes, we do have Devondre Campbell, but I don't know for how long. And also, um, ask any of the tape guys, and they would love to get a guy next to Devondre Campbell that can do a really good job. But um, you get a guy with all the tools in the world, and, and you, you tell him, you don't need to be the number one guy. We've got a guy. You don't need to be a do-everything guy. You just need to be able to do X, Y, Z. We're going to make it real simple. We're going to make your job real easy. All you got to do is unleash those tools. I say again. So that's my thought on that. All right, let's, uh, let's finally get to some of the questions and things. First question I got is from Josh. He says, would you take Ojabo with the second first while aiming for two pass catchers early on as well? I won't be mad at D-line early, but O-line, we got this LOL. We always find gems later in the draft. So I, I can't really answer these questions because, again, the team isn't going to go in with preconceived notions of we're going to get Ojabo with one of our picks. It depends what the board looks like. It depends who's available. Ojabo is not at the top of, of any of my lists, but there is a world in which, depending on how things fall, Ojabo is the best possible option. I'm also not going to look at it and say we're going to get two pass catchers with our first four picks because I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think there's ever going to be a mock I'm going to do with two pass catchers because I just don't like the wide receivers enough to do that. There's too many other guys that I really, really like, and I doubt that the board falls in such a way that, that of the four, two of them end up being wide receivers. And beyond that, um, I'm not in line with the idea that, oh, line, we've got this. I mean, we, we do okay with guys in the later rounds, but, I mean, we're talking about Royce Newman, uh, I mean, John Runyon is really the only guy that's been decent, and even he's kind of eh. get a really good pass blocking grade, but you know, I don't want to be eh. I want to be dominant, and I, I think it's one of our biggest weaknesses of the offensive line. I think offensive line is one of the most critical things for a football team. You look at teams when they fall. I mean, Tampa Bay. When Tampa Bay falters, it's because Tom Brady's under pressure. When uh, Kansas City in the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the year prior, they lost their two tackles, and and Pat Mahomes had to run for his life, and he looked like garbage. Aaron Rodgers, when the Packers don't do well, it's because they can't run the ball and there's consistent pressure. They lose in the trenches, specifically the offensive line. Some of the best Packers football has been over the years when the Packers have had some dominant offensive line play. And and I I don't trust that we're just going to pick up a random fourth round guy and he's going to come in and be dominant because that just hasn't happened basically since David Bakhtiari and Josh Sitton, right? Mid-round guys that have been massive hits. We've got guys that are mediocre, right? Yash Nyman kind of came out of nowhere, but even Yash is, he's a fill-in. 
And I just, I would like better than that. Um, and the, the major hits we've gotten lately have been second round picks. And, and, and it still remains to be seen if we have a major hit at center or not. I don't know. He seemed decent. Um, again, he seemed fine. He had a fairly low PFF grade. So the question is, will he take another step? He already has an injury to his name now. So that's a big question mark. But no, I, I think offensive line is a major need and I would like to take a major swing at it because I, I don't think there's anything more important, including wide receiver, by the way. Now we need to add some bodies, but I think the fan base says we need elite wide receivers and kind of just shrugs his shoulders at offensive line. I'm the exact opposite. If we had an elite offensive line and just some decent wide receivers, I would much rather have that as a combo. I mean, somebody, it would be nice to have at least one good wide receiver, but it, you know, if you, if you told me only one can be elite and one can be good, Give me an elite offensive line with a good wide receiver group compared to elite wide receiver and good offensive line. Aaron Rodgers can sit in the pocket all day. He can operate with mediocre wide receivers, especially if we have a dominant offensive line and our run game is just on point. We have one of the best rushing teams in football and Aaron Rodgers can sit in the pocket all day. Yeah, I don't care about wide receivers. I don't. He'll make it work. So again, I'm not saying do nothing, but um, just, just this general mentality of we need to draft two wide receivers and I don't care about offensive line. I can't get behind that. And again, just generally with these types of questions, I can't answer them because I don't know. It depends on each individual situation, who's available, when and where and all that stuff. I, I can't come in and the Packers, by the way, do not come in with preconceived notions of we're going to take Ojabo with our second first and we're going to get two wide receivers in the first four picks. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea who's available, who's not, and and how that all falters. I wouldn't be uh, falters. All that all falls. I, I I wouldn't be opposed to it necessarily. But again, it's just it's on a case by case basis. So I have no idea. I, I don't know. Uh, Zach says, um, are the Packers more likely to take players in the draft who play multiple positions, like how Jenkins moves around, or like how Zadarius did? Who are some of the types of players that we might target? Uh, the answer is yes for I think for every team. Maybe the Packers more so than. Um, than everybody else. I know that's been kind of a staple for them is finding guys that, you know, Ted Thompson always liked to find those guys. We know Mike Pettin liked those types of defensive players. Presumably Brian Gutekunst likes that as well. Uh, haven't necessarily gotten confirmation as far as, you know, guys that Gutekunst or Matt LaFleur or Joe Barry look for in terms of that being a premium need. But I think every team likes that. I think the NFL kind of moves in that direction. You look at safeties, you know, just the the days of guy, a guy that just stands in the back and roams from sideline to sideline. I mean, now we like guys that can do a little bit of everything. Safeties that got speed and range, but also can play in the box and can blitz and all that stuff. They There's a premium on those types of guys. You know, if you're a safety that also is a safety slash linebacker or a safety slash slot corner, it's a you get a bonus. If you're a guy that can play defensive tackle as well as edge, you get a bonus. If you're an offensive lineman that plays tackle and guard and center, you get a bonus, which by the way, most offensive linemen have played multiple positions. In fact, basically all of them. It's very rare to find a guy that's played one position his entire career. So, you know, even when, um, you know, you'll, you'll hear people talk about this guy's a real great option because of his versatility. He's played tackle and guard. Yeah, so is everybody else. So, you know, I saw, I think, um, what's his name? Mel Kuyper or whatever did a mock draft and had us taking Kenyon Green. Uh, at pick 22, who's not a, I'm not a huge fan of. And they're like, well, Kenyon Green has played guard and tackle. Yeah, so is every guard. I mean, not literally, but you got guard and center, you got guard and tackle, you got tackle and, you know, whatever. Center is sort of the one specialty that, you know, not everybody does, but generally at some point or another, they've played multiple positions. 
So Kenyon Green, for example, 81 snaps at left tackle, 1,098 at left guard, one snap at center, 853 snaps at right guard, 142 snaps at right tackle. That's typically what you'll find among most college offensive linemen. They move around a ton. And usually it's year to year. Like one year they'll start as tackle, then they'll get another prospect who comes in that's a better offensive lineman, so they get kicked into guard, or somebody leaves and then they get kicked out to tackle. There's so much turnover in college that you see a lot of that. By the way, side note with Kenyon Green, I don't think there's much chance that he ever plays tackle, so I don't see him as a versatile prospect. Maybe, but I think he's a guy that maybe could get away with that in college, but I don't, I don't see him as being athletic enough to do that in the pros. Zion Johnson has been very specialized over his career, but even he has 786 snaps at left tackle, 1,496 at left guard, and one snap at uh, ITE, which is uh, inline tight end, which is just basically when you have an additional offensive lineman. So it'll be center, guard, tackle, and then Zion Johnson lined up outside of that. It's just a it's just a, a big boy package. He did that twice. So there's a lot of that as well. First time I saw that, I was like, dude, he played tight end. That's crazy. That's something to, you know, pay attention to that. This guy's played a couple snaps of tight end. No, it's just, it's just bulk big boy package that most offensive linemen have been in that position, especially in college, a couple times. So with offensive linemen, you're going to find versat- experience and versatility at all of these positions, and all of these guys have pretty much done it. The, the question is, what can they do when they get to the pros? That's really the biggest question. You know, having the experience is great. Do you have the athletic ability to pull it off in the pros? And, and that's where I like Zion Johnson. I think he does have that athleticism. I don't know if he's big and long enough necessarily. I mean, he does actually have really long arms, I think, for his size, if I remember pro- correctly. But I, I, I think that's a little bit something that needs to be paid attention to. Not necessarily what do they do in college, but what can they do in the pros? Um, so I didn't put together a, a real big list for you. Um, same, same is true. Th- this is maybe even more true of defensive linemen. Um, I mean, even in the pros, these guys move absolutely everywhere. You know, you, you look at what have they done. I, I guarantee you, you pick any random person. And they have played everywhere from nose tackle to uh, 3-4 defensive end to, you know, 4-3 tackle to 4-3 defensive end to outside linebacker, probably a little bit of inside linebacker, probably been split out at corner once. You know, I mean, it's just for every edge rusher, I can guarantee they've been hand in the dirt and have stood up at some point, you know, with the, with the rare exception of a handful of guys that are very strict with their defensive scheme or whatever, there's always going to be packages of this, that, or the other. But again, the, the important thing is, what are they going to be able to do when you get into the pros? And that is a really big difference, because you're probably going to have to specialize a little bit more. And, um, you know, for example, at pass rusher, you're going to have to stand up and you're going to have to be handing the dirt, but can you do both? That's sort of the bigger question. And that that is going to take more than me just looking at snap counts. I mean, I can do that. I can put together a list of, of everybody that's done multiple things, which again, is almost everybody. But um, it's more of you want to talk to the, the tape grinders and the scouts and those types of guys and find out who, who can actually do it and excel. Like who can, who can actually be a really good guard and a really good tackle. Question from Nevin. The Packers have always seemed to put up an emphasis on three-cone times when it comes to wide receivers. From what I understand, not a single first-round wide receiver prospect has a good three-cone time. Could we maybe do a little in-depth analysis on the post-first-round prospects that did have three cone times that are good? This is another great point because I've been mentioned as I've been mentioning, there are not there's a ton of wide receivers that everybody likes for various reasons. There are not a lot of great wide receivers that check a bunch of boxes, and there's a lot of red flags for all these guys. And maybe they're not massive. And again, if the Packers don't view them as red flags, then they're just great prospects. But I don't know what the Packers feel about you know 
again, guys like Olave and their size. If they don't see that as a hindrance and they think he's, then they don't care they're going to draft him because he's just a great wide receiver. But there's all these little things. And, it, and it's true, the three cone has been, at least as far as if you look at the, the history of wide receivers that we typically get, usually they like good three cone times. That's sort of an, a good indicator for what the Packers look at because not all um, the times and the measurables are equally important by position to position. So I don't know exactly how well this holds up, but um, according to uh, our lads, has a little chart that I like to reference once in a while. This is 2018 NFL Combine position averages. It's 2018, but it still gives you some general averages. Wide receiver, average three-cone time, 694. Uh, I saw something else that said, you know, like 55% of wide receivers have a sub-seven or, or a seven or less three-cone. So let's just call it sub-seven to be adequate. And by the way, the Packers have drafted several above, you know, Amari Rogers 707. Um, where, what else? Randall Cobb 708. Jordy Nelson 703. James Jones 706. So they, they've, they've had several that are above seven. But let's just say three cone times seven or below. And it's worth noting, a lot of these guys just have not run the three cone. So it's, it's not that this is the, the ex- full exhaustive list. Some people just chose not to do it. But this is what we've got uh, that I can find. Bo Melton, Kevin Austin Jr., and Calvin Austin. That's it. Uh, Bo Melton, 698. Kevin Austin, 671. Calvin Austin, 665. So it's not a very big list. Now, again, most of the wide receivers just didn't run it. But if we look at some of these times, for example, Traylon Burks, 728. 728 is real slow as far as the three cone goes. Um... I mean, it's just, there's no other way to put it. That's a bad time. Sky Moore, 713. Jahan Dotson, 728. For a guy that's supposed to be small and shifty, that's a bad three-cone time. Um, by the way, that's, that's the full list of guys that I can pull up here. Let me see if I can try to narrow this, because I think, I think there's probably more, but I'm not getting a full list because I can only get 200 at a time, and I can't whittle down stupid positions, so let me, let me do some weight limits or something. There we go. Now I got a bigger list. Um, David Bell, who I know is going to f- plummet anyways, but he's at 714. Uh, who else? Jalen Tolbert, 708. Jalen Naylor, 703. Uh, names that people care about. Khalil Shakir, 728. Um, again, that's about it. Most of these guys, again, just didn't run it. So maybe check their pro days to see if they, they ended up doing anything. Wandale Robinson did not run it. Uh, Justin Ross. John Mechie, obviously some of these guys have injuries. Jamison, uh, Jamison Williams, George Pickens, Drake London, Chris Olave. So um, not a lot of information, but you're right. As, as far as the guys that we do have, very, very few have run decent three-cone times. The, the Austin Twins are basically like the only two that did test and were sub-seven. And, and by the way, massively sub-seven. Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame, I need to... He's, he's way down the list, but you talk about athletic freaks that are just blowing away the combine that I really need to get my eyes on here. He's he's one of the guys near the top of the list. Same with Calvin Austin, 665. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's he's so far below seven, it's stupid. The only guy that I can see, and, and again, the Packers have taken a couple of these guys. I'm looking at a list of guys that were... 665 or less. Trevor Davis was 660. Jamon Moore, 656. So none of them that have actually really panned out. But you can see where the Packers see that and their eyes get big and they're like, we got to get that guy. 
But uh, yeah, it, it, I think ultimately, and again, the pro days are going to be a, a big thing to keep an eye on. And I'll try to go back and look at, actually, you know what? I can probably pull something up really fast here. I do need to hurry though, because I have, uh, you know what? No, I, I, I'll save that for tomorrow. I'll try to scour through some pro days and see if anybody put up some good three cone numbers tomorrow. Because I got I got I've got one Patreon question down so far. Aaron says, with the athletically stacked, with as athletically stacked as the draft class is, would it be more beneficial to trade up to get the freakiest of the freak, Jordan Davis, or trade back for more picks? My preference, if we're just focusing on adding freakishness, is to trade back. Um, in a group full of freaks, I want quantity, right? I mean, if, if there's one freaky guy and a bunch, if it's a really lacking in athleticism draft class, then you want to, you know, package your picks to get the one guy that's actually going to fit. But when everybody's a freak, I don't see a need to say freakiest of the freak, right? Because now we're, we're giving up two freaks so that we can get one freak that's just a little bit more freaky. You know, let's say they really, really like, you know, uh, Drake London or Traylon Burks, which by the way, Drake London is now going in the top 10 in several mock drafts. So he may be long gone before the Packers ever get to him. He's all over the board. Something else I wanted to talk about tomorrow, probably today before I got the Patreon questions, but that'll be for tomorrow is um, not getting so locked into this guy's definitely going in this range because the, the range is that a lot of these guys are going varies wildly. So we should broaden our scope a little bit. But again, that's for tomorrow. No, and, and I'm not even saying we need to trade back. I mean, we have four picks and I want to capitalize on and, and what a great year in, in one of the freakiest draft classes for a team that loves absolute freaks to have four picks. Um, and I'm content with four. But yeah, I mean, if, if there's an opportunity to, to trade back out of maybe out of 22, if there's just not people that you love and pick up an additional second round pick and get still two first rounds, two late firsts and three seconds, would I be mad about that in this draft class? No. So if I had to pick between the two, it would be to trade back. Because, you know, again, I'm not going to forfeit freaks. And really, if you're talking about trade up and trade back, we're, we're losing two picks, not just one. Because we're talking about the difference between two firsts and three seconds and one first and two seconds. And no, I, d I don't see Jordan Davis as being um, that critical. I, I mean, that's I would say that about any player. I, that, I would be hard-pressed to say... Considering that the miss rate, even on freaks, right? You look at the top guys in the top ten. A lot of those guys are not going to be very good. There's going to be a much higher hit rate in the in you know the top ten than there is the bottom ten, obviously. But it's not going to be you know the, the the this time of the draft is when everybody's going to be elite. And by the end of the next year, there's going to be about ten guys that panned out. A bunch of guys that have you know potentially will in the next two to three years eventually break out. But, um, you know, right now is the time of year where everybody's just going to be this freak. Everybody's going to be amazing. And then we will forget their names very quickly. So I want quantity because if only 10 guys are going to pan out, I want to multiply my, my picks so that the, there's a much higher percentage chance that we end up getting those guys, the guys that can contribute and be great this year, as well as the guys that maybe aren't great this year, but in two years, three years, they're going to be top 10 players like Rashawn and Jair. Kurt says, I wonder if we're underestimating the Packers' uh, will to draft a running back early, meaning top three rounds. Here are some things that may be true with the Packers. Packers like to have two good running backs. Packers like to get a replacement player at least the year before they are needed. Aaron Jones' contract may not be kept in force due to uh, the price. If these things are true, as I think they are, they just may draft a running back early. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying don't rule it out. I 100% I, I agree. Not that I think it's going to happen. Uh, I think it's more likely we draft somebody. Remember when we were needy before, we drafted uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal, and that's when we really needed running back. 
and we waited until like the fourth round to get Jamal and then the fifth round to get Aaron Jones. So even if we are considered needy, which I don't think we are, I think we actually have three really good running backs right now. Um, and if Aaron Jones leaves, we have a really good running back and a second decent option. And, and by the way, the one really good running back we have is A.J. Dillon, who's a guy that you can put many carries on. So he can be like the lone guy for a while and kind of run him into the ground a little bit more. But I, I do think that they are looking to the future. And I think if there's a good running back, they will pull the trigger. And I don't think it's impossible we're talking second round. It's unlikely but not impossible. Third round, I mean, with every round, it gets to be more and more likely. But again, it really comes down to best player available. And the question is, is this a position they're going to say absolutely not? Because there are certain positions that they're going to say absolutely not in the first and second round. I don't know if running back is one of them. I mean, A.J. Dillon is a perfect example of that. We had Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and we took A.J. Dillon. I mean, if that doesn't show you that they're willing to draft somebody that they really like at a position that may not be a need for a year or two, then I guess you're just not paying attention. So yes, it's absolutely a possibility. I, again, I don't think so. But you know, if, if a guy like, uh, what did I say, Kenneth Walker is is there and they're just absolutely enamored with the guy and it's their second second round pick, are they going to, you know, if, if he's the top guy on their board, are they going to say, nah, we'll just, we'll just trade back or we'll just take somebody on a different tier? No, they're, they're going to take the running back. Uh, Patrick McCain says, and I'm, I'm going to have to end it with this. We'll, we'll do more of these questions later. Everything took longer than I anticipated. I'm sorry about that. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm going to skip that one because he asked for three guys and I want to be able to do more in depth. Luke says, my guy is John Mechie the third. I know he's got a knee injury, but he's a selfless player and he can block. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, let's take a look at John Mechie. I'm not going to tell you why you're wrong. You're allowed to like whoever you want to like, but um, he's somebody that we haven't looked at because he is, well, let's start with that. Where is he? He is currently sitting at pick 65 overall. So kind of back end of the second round, early third round kind of range is where he's seen to be. His stock seems to be going up a little bit. He's moved up two spots on the consensus big board. Um, However, he has been, I mean, just as early as uh, March 7th, Sports Illustrated put him uh, as the 19th pick in Sports Illustrated. Nothing super recently, but you saw uh, back in, you know, January, Sports Illustrated had him going 32 to the Packers. So obviously he's fallen kind of out of these these spots. But again, we're talking two weeks ago, Sports Illustrated had him at 19. As far as the big boards go, uh, as of right now, his best rank is 30th. So um, again, there's varying opinions on John Mechie just because he's overall considered you know, like a late second, early third. Doesn't mean that's where he's going to go. Doesn't mean that's exactly what his value is. That's just consensus where he kind of falls. But his official uh, status or measurement was 5'11", 187, so he, he is small. I mean, John Mechie was uh, listed, I believe, at 6'195", which is a fine size for a receiver, but you drop him 10 pounds and an inch, and suddenly you're kind of in a new category. Um, as far as his grades at Alabama, 2019 wasn't great, but he only played, he only had eight targets, so he didn't play very much. 2020, it jumps up to a 73, 2021, 78. So not elite, but you see the upward mobility and all that kind of stuff. So that's solid. As far as consistency, I do think he's got a lot of consistency. His lowest grade was a 55 overall. It was only his only game below a 60. That was against Texas A&M. By the way, he had 88 yards in that game. So that wasn't even necessarily a bad game. Again, I don't know exactly what graded him that way. But if you're a wide receiver and your worst game gets you 88 yards, I'm not mad about that. Um, but, you know, 60 overall grade was his next lowest. He had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, about half of his games were 70 or higher. His highest though was an 80. So he's he's consistently good without, he's he's the exact opposite of a lot of the guys we've been talking about today where they're, they're usually pretty bad, but they have these flashy games. John Mechie is just solid, consistent, game to game. He's a good wide receiver. At least that's what he did at Alabama. That was kind of his MO. 
Uh, he played 33% in the slot, so he's got a, a decent, I mean, he's primarily a boundary guy, but he's, he's got a, a lot of play in the slot. He had 1,142 yards, eight touchdowns this past season. That was up from 916 and six touchdowns the year before. He averages 11.9 yards per reception. We did not get a chance to see his 40 time, and I don't expect to, and there's a lot of variability on what his 40 time would be. Walter Football projects his 40 time at 4.5. I got another site here that projects his 40 time at 4.36, so I could not tell you. Um, I can give you his stats as far as deep shots or whatever. 16.4% of his targets were on 20-plus uh, yard passes. He was 7 of 21, which is 33% reception rate, which those are always, it sounds low, but those are always, the deep shots are always lower, and a lot of that has to do with the quarterback. 177 yards, 25.3 yards per reception, and two touchdowns. He had an 89.3 overall grade on deep throws, 92.7 overall grade on medium between 10 and 19, and short passes, 94.2 overall grade, which again is pretty normal because, actually it's not necessarily normal, but it's actually a little less on the deep throw grades compared to shorter passes grades than you would expect. Um, as a blocker, 56.5 overall grade. I don't think you get a you know smaller wide receiver and expect him to be able to block, but as a packer, you're going to be asked to. Um, so there you go. Not as bad as you would expect. In fact, he's got several games in here where he graded out quite well as a blocker, but again, you're not going to get much of that. If we uh, head over to some of the pros and cons, big thing with him is route running. They listed it here as crafty as can be, a true salesman with his routes. Advanced release package doesn't let opposing corners into his numbers, so that's his release off the line which is important if you're looking for an X receiver. Again, that's kind of number one. You're the guy that's up on the line that's going to be dealing with a lot of press. That's my biggest concern with smaller guys is can you do that? Because if they can get inside your chest and knock you off your route, the whole play is kind of of in trouble. Uh, Final note here says drastically improved his yards after the catch ability from 2020 to 2021. Cons, torn ACL and CFP semifinal, or in the CFP, I was going to say what the heck is a CFP, in the CFP semifinal. Lacks any high-end physical tools, unaspiring athletic profile, not a physical player, gets boxed out of his routes against big corners. So that's, again, somewhat of an issue. Um, he does have eight drops, which is not good. Uh, that's one of the one of the top things that people always say when you really love a guy, but he has really bad drops in college. Usually it doesn't translate, and then you get the the drop police that come out and say, why did you think this guy would be any good? Look at his drops. He ranks 238th in for wide receivers in terms of his drops. So that's that's a pretty big concern. Um, 20 missed tackles forced, which ranks 10th in all of college football. Other solid rankings, uh, screen catches and screen yards. Again, his grades for shorter passes were higher than you would expect compared to his deep passes. So he seems to be a pretty good yard after the catch guy on screen passes and whatnot, which I don't know how great that is when you get a guy like John Mechie, if that's what you want him for. But uh, deep yards, he ranks 157th. Uh, Deep catches, he ranks 93rd. Average depth of the target is 209th, he ranks. So overall, PFF has it broke down this way. Where does he win his route running? Mechie, like pretty much every Alabama receiver in recent memory, wins with route running IQ. To be as advanced as he is for only a true junior coming out is impressive. What is his role? They have him as a slot guy. So again, he only played 33%, but in their mind, in the NFL, which is again what I said, it's not what you did in college, it's what can you do in the pros. They don't see him as a guy that can win on the outside, which to me is somewhat problematic, but it kind of makes sense when you're a smaller guy that's not very physical. You move him into the slot, he doesn't have to worry about it as much, and he's free to just operate with his routes and whatnot, which again is not great for being a Packers receiver. Not that they wouldn't draft a a slot guy, but they just did that last year, and he's not a big slot guy. So we have Randall Cobb, 
We have Amari Rodgers, who's the kind of slot guy that they like and hope that he can become what they want him to become. And then you draft John Mechie to be sort of a Randall Cobb guy, who we already have on the team. But uh, they go on to say, the worry is Mechie has to be a slot in the NFL. With limited speed and catch radius for an outside receiver, he is a number two at best at the next level. So it doesn't really bode very well for him running in the 4-3, according to PFF. And then finally, where can he improve? It says health. There aren't many avenues for Mechie to improve because most of his negatives are physical. It's unlikely he will improve during his, uh, during his ACL recovery. So I think that's another negative for him is his, his limitations are not things you can coach. So for the Packers, when you look at what they like, they like really big athletes because even if they're not good football players, their perspective is we can teach them to play football. The stuff that we like is the stuff that you can't teach. For John Mechie, what you see is what you get. Because everything that you can teach, he's already super advanced at. And that's kind of problematic because you play for the biggest program in, in football. You're already as good as you're ever going to get. And you graded out in the 70s. You never really had elite games. And um, so it doesn't bode very well for you getting even better when you get into the NFL. So um, you wanted me to convince you that you were wrong. And, and there you go. So <laughs> uh, by the way, they, they do have a couple other things. So let me run through these as well because they're somewhat interesting. Um. Height, he's 28th percentile. Weight, he's 20th percentile. Arm length is 17th percentile. Hand size is 47th percentile. So he's small in every single category. Uh, receiving grade is a 79. Coverage versus man, or grade versus man coverage is an 80.3. Grade versus zone coverage is a 74. Yards per route run, 2.41. Contested catch rate is 61.1, which is fairly high. Um, they also give uh, rankings out of 10 in these different categories. Speed, 4 out of 10. So again, they tend to fall on the Walter football side of things that he's not very fast, probably runs in the 4 or 5s. Route running, they give an 8 out of 10. Physicality, a 4 out of 10. Ball skills, they give a 4 out of 10. Elusiveness, 6 out of 10. So um, having not watched him myself, I can't give my own personal thoughts. But um, basically what it sounds like is he's a smaller guy that is an injury risk, that is a great route runner, but that's all he's ever really going to be. Um, and there's not a lot of room for growth. So what you see is what you get. Their bottom line on him, while Mechie is pro-ready in a lot of ways, there's reasons to think he's also cap, uh, close to capped out. So it makes sense also that you would like his film because, again, you see a really crisp, really clean route runner, and it's like, this guy's awesome. But again, that's kind of, according to what we're seeing here, that's all you're ever going to get out of him. And um, again, the negative, negative, the, the negative, negative, the additional negative here is that if it's true that he's probably going to be a slot at the next level, he doesn't really fit what we want. In a lot of ways, he doesn't fit what we want. The Packers don't like smaller guys. And the biggest reason they don't like smaller guys isn't just the physicality. It's, it's the worry about injury. And so you've got a smaller guy that already has an injury history that doesn't bring any physicality. That's probably a slot guy, which is not what we need or want. I don't see him as checking really any boxes for the Packers. So that doesn't mean he won't be a good player somewhere in the right scheme, right team, right fit but I don't really see any way in which the Packers draft John Mechie. That's my opinion, based on just stuff that I'm reading. So anyways, I got to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a lovely day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>